Welcome to Transform and Thrive. Your host, Helen Lee, examines the opportunities and practical solutions for individuals and organizations to transform and thrive in these times. She shares her wisdom and that of other changemakers impacting our world. Tune in for innovative and holistic tools and empowering strategies to reinvent yourself and or your organization and flourish in a world facing different crises. Hello everyone, this is Helen Lee. Welcome to my podcast, Transform and Thrive. Uh, this is my 10th episode and my very first interview and my very first guest, Bruce Cryer. Um, when I was thinking about which guests to invite for my show, um, obviously I would pick those who would help me help others to transform and thrive. And Bruce came to mind uh, for many reasons. One of them was that uh, he is to me the embodiment of a lot of the things that I am advocating to various people all over the world, as well as organizations. And one of the key reasons is that he's also been working on a project uh, called Human, uh, sorry, Renaissance Human um, for the last couple of years or so. And when you say the word Renaissance, it brings to mind um, the words revival and rebirth. And that is very much what I am also advocating uh, for people and organizations to review, to reinvent and recreate. And that's the direction we must be taking. Um, secondly, um, Bruce was also the CEO of HeartMath and the co a co-founding member back in, what year was it, Bruce? 1991, we officially started. Wow. Can you tell us a bit more about that and about the Renaissance Human Project that you've been working on? Absolutely, Helen. And, and it's a joy and an honor to be here as your first guest. That's really a, it's wonderful to do this with you. Um, HeartMath is a, it was a wonderful journey for me and it continues. Uh, 30 years ago, we started this organization uh, in the mountains above Silicon Valley in California to research the power and the intelligence of the heart. The founder, a man named Dr. Childre, believed that in, West, in the West, at least in the last 150 or 200 years, the heart had been sort of dumbed down to just being a fantastic machine, a fantastic pump. And yet every culture of the world, every religion of the world revered the heart for its wisdom, its courage, its love, its compassion, all these qualities, these feelings, these values that we associate with the heart and yet the science said no that's just romanticism that's just poetry that's what the old people used to believe but that's not science says it's just a pump and we thought uh science we think you're wrong <laughs> yes it's a pump we think there's a lot more to it so we built this organization called the heart math institute as you mentioned i was one of the founding members and later ceo and our mission was to create a simple set of tools utilizing the intelligence, the wisdom of the heart in practical ways that can help people's lives be better. And that, and for many people, starts with reducing stress. You know, back 30 years ago, stress was already being called a global, a global epidemic before COVID, before the internet, before 
the craziness of, of modern society. So we, we, we began doing a tremendous amount of research, uh, started building techniques and systems of, of thought and practice to help people utilize this power of the heart in very simple ways that could reduce stress when it's happening, reduce the anticipation of stress, et cetera, and build quite a credibility. Um, I've been teaching heart math programs at Stanford University for 25 years now. Um, it was written up in the Harvard Business Review twice in articles that were published about the impact of heart math for executive health and reduction of stress and improvement of performance for executives. So there have been many things showing the credibility of this work. And uh, it's, it's a powerful set of techniques and based on now 30 years of uh, rigorous scientific uh, work as well. So it's been a, been a joy. As you know, my transition, it came about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, when I was completing a two-year journey of unfortunate health events and uh, some fairly serious, couple life-threatening things that I had to go through. And in the aftermath of that, I got healthy. I'm 12 years cancer-free. I'm, I'm 11 years on titan new titanium hips, et cetera. But in the aftermath of that, I did feel kind of a rebirth, to your point a moment, a moment ago. Not only did I feel it physically in my body, like, wow, I'm okay. And actually, if I work at this, I can be really okay, like thriving, really thriving again. And people started commenting on, wow, you've gone like, you're like a renaissance man. You've gone through this whole kind of physical rebirth and, you know, life-threatening conditions. But now you're singing again, you're dancing again, you're doing all these artistic things again that I had once done as a career, as you know, in my 20s but hadn't done it for years. I was starting to do that again and still loving business and coaching and mentoring, et cetera. And so it, it was a full on renaissance for me. And I, and when more people would comment about your, your renaissance, man, I thought there's something to this notion. I'm going to ponder this more. And I kept exploring it and finally realized renaissance man is an interesting concept. It limits the, the, the total population by 50%. So, you know, only half the, half the people get to do it, supposedly. But I thought, well, I, I mean something different. I, and I came up with this phrase, Renaissance human, or Renaissance human, as you would say. And, and which re basically reflects my view that one of the things that makes humans unique is, sure, we have the power to create life. All species have that. But we also have the power to keep recreating our own life. And that's obvious in the first 20 years or so. We're, we're birthing new parts of ourselves left and right. We, we learn how to walk. We learn how to speak. We learn how to see clearly. We learn how to ride a bike. We learn how to be in school. We learn how to do social things. So we're growing and growing and growing. And new parts of ourselves are continually being born. Quite literally, the circuitry to ride a bike didn't exist before we got on a bike and figured it out and started to build the circuits in our brain so we could do that repeatedly for the rest of our lives. So circuitry is literally being born. And, but the common view is that that's just kind of the first couple of decades of our life. And then you need to kind of get set on your career and stay there. And God forbid in your forties or fifties, you should question any of that. And then we're, we're criticized for having a midlife crisis. You poor thing, you're having a midlife crisis. My the my theory is, no, we're supposed to keep, we are allowed, we're, we have the ability to keep birthing new parts of ourselves, to keep growing. That There's no reason for that to stop, except our mindset that says we should stop and just kind of become fixed in one pattern. Well, being fixed in one pattern means we age and, and we then we get convinced that the aging is inevitable and then we just, we lose the vitality in the life. So I could keep talking about it, as you know, but 
that's a little bit of a headline that we're, yeah. we all have the power to create our lives throughout our life, not just when we're young. Absolutely. And that's what we're all Renaissance humans. And don't you think that the pandemic has actually um, is actually pushing us or forcing us to look within to to really recreate a whole lot of things beginning with ourselves? Absolutely. Right. Yeah, there's this phrase. Absolutely. I agree, Helen. Uh, there's this phrase happening in the U.S. right now a lot. I don't know how, if, if it's common in other parts of the world, but so many people have resigned from their jobs during this time. And it's called it's being called the great resignation because so many people are just like if, if they're if they, they've been working from home. And now the employer is saying you have to come back in the office. You can't work at home anymore. And they're saying, sorry, I've had a change of heart. I don't want to work there anymore. And so there's masses of people that are just saying, I, I can't do this anymore. Because I think when so much has been taken away from us because of lockdown and repeated lockdowns and everything else that's going on, it does make you think like, what, what am I doing this for? Is this really what I should be doing? Is this really make my heart sing? Or is there something else I want more in my life? And I was kind of sleepwalking until COVID kind of, force the issue and oh oh wow everything has to change wow do i really want to keep doing do i want to keep putting up with that boss that i can't stand and that corporate culture that i can't stand and do i, do I really want that and a lot of people are saying no and saying i want to reinvent myself when i first started teaching about this at stanford back in 2017 there was a lot of interest in this idea then when covid hit we had to switch, take all the programs online and i had the highest enrollment ever uh, six months after COVID started because just people in droves were like, I've got to get back into my creativity again. I've, that, that part of me has, has, is shriveling. <laughs> I can't, I can't even be outside. You know, some people literally couldn't even go outside. So uh, that, that awakening as you're, as you're referring to, it has been happening a lot in, in my opinion. And I can and, see, I can see it. And do you think this is happening in all areas of our life and not just on, uh, in, in the work area? Do you feel that oh, yeah. people are looking at you know themselves and how to reinvent themselves or move towards being their future self? You know, because that's whole uh, that that's part of the whole idea of creating, right? You, you're not just creating one thing; you can recreate everything. Are we? Do you feel that we are meant to do exactly that? That the pandemic um, uh, slows people down in order to take that good look at themselves. Exactly. I, I think all that is true. You know, I think um, the, 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 the level of confinement that billions of people have had is part of it, for sure. You know, suddenly you're with your family who you would normally love to be with, but you're all, only with them and it's always with them. And it's like, oh, ah, what about me? <laughs> what about what I want? So now suddenly I'm only in a group uh, formation all the time. And so I think a lot of that has, has been reawakened for people and not, and not just about work, <clears throat> about health. Yeah. I think the, the number of people who have recognized, you know, whether, whatever, wherever you stand on vaccine or not on the, on different treatments or not, to me, there's been a huge awakening that we can't just, I can't just rely on the opinions of anyone, scientists, government or anything only they have a perspective. I, I value a lot of those perspectives and I will take that to heart. 
but I'm not going to only do that. In other words, when I, I was, as you know, I was recently diagnosed with COVID. And when I got the diagnosis, I said to the nurse, I said, I'm, I am a believer in vaccines. I'm a believer in the boost. And I don't begin to believe that's all that I need to do to protect my immune system and to lead a good life. What I eat, the thoughts I have in my mind, whether I meditate and pray, how I exercise, my social connections, um, all that are as important in the overall picture of my life not just whether my immune system is strong or not. So I think there's a lot of reflection of people about their health, um, about about relationships, you know, about those relationships that they've sort of been tolerating for years because they kind of had to because you work with the person. And, and now it's kind of like, why? Why do I still tolerate that? Either fix it or or get rid of it. it I mean, there's a lot more of I need to I need to look after myself now because there are, there are certain threats that weren't present before that are out of my control like COVID, like the economic impact of COVID um, that, it, you know, it's touched almost everybody's lives. Like, so well, yeah. yeah, lots of, lots of ways this is all manifesting. I think mm. you, you're quite amazing because you, you, you just had, you just recovered from COVID and it didn't take you very long at all. Right. You look perfectly well, you know, um, and I think you work at it, right. You work at being healthy at, all levels, physically, emotionally, mentally, energetically, spiritually. Am I right? And, and that's precisely why, uh, A, it's precisely what I'm advocating, and B, is precisely why I said earlier that, that that's why I've asked you to be my very first guest. You are the embodiment of everything that I would like to, you know, advocate to, to everyone to take care of for themselves. Right, as part of transforming and thriving and rising up. Did I yes, know? thank you, thank you, thank you for that. You know, I, I, I do, I do feel grateful that I re recovered most of the way very quickly. In fact, I was amazed how quick it happened, and I know that other things that I was taking besides what the nurses and doctors told me had a lot to do with that. I was taking some homeopathic things. I was taking an elderberry syrup for the congestion in my chest. A variety of vitamins and things that are known to build immune function and even known to be useful in, in, in against COVID. So I was doing all that. I was doing a lot more meditation. I had a group of friends from around the world that all got together on a Zoom call to meditate for me. I thought, wow, I didn't, I didn't ask for that. So a friend organized that on my behalf. Oh, okay, I receive, I receive all blessings from all, all possible sources. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But I think that's a really important part of not just COVID, but thriving is the ability to be grateful for any little bit of light or beauty or or care that comes our way and it's easy to ignore them it's easy to miss them you know and just it just fa fail to fully appreciate something that is of great value and to, but to me that's i mean we, we showed it in heart math one of our very earliest studies uh, we were looking at immune function and the particular marker in immune function called salivary iga uh, which it's called salivary because it's it's an, an antibody that is found in prolific quantities in your saliva and in your whole respiratory tract. And back in the 1980s, uh, a study at Harvard had shown that an episode of anger could depress the function of, uh, depress the quantity of that very important antibody. It's called the first line of defense in your body against incoming pathogens like viruses or bacteria. <clears throat> and so this Harvard study had shown years earlier that anger 
would kind of take it off the charts down, but compassion or care would actually boost it. And we we did a study to kind of look at it again and found that just five minutes of of remembering an angry episode would cause a six hour decline in the level of this salivary IgA in your body. Six hour decline. So in that six hour period, after you got just remembering how angry you were about something, a door has just been opened to invaders like COVID because you're you're processing that anger about the government about the scientist about the neighbor about Absolutely. whoever it may be yeah but the opposite or the converse was also fascinating that we also showed confirming what harvard has had said that just five minutes of focusing on what you're grateful for in your life a person um the, the beautiful buddha you, you told me it's a burmese buddha in your in your in behind you the beautiful plant to your over your left shoulder, the appreciation of that for five minutes, not only gives a big surge to the IGA levels in your in your immune system, which makes sense when you're in appreciation of nature, of beauty, of a person, you feel elevated, don't you? Well, so does your immune system, and so we found that even six hours after just five minutes of fo- being focused on appreciation or gratitude. Six hours later, your your IGA level is still elevated above the normal level. Absolutely. So appreciation, especially in the face of negativity, is a boost to immune function. I still got COVID. It's it'll get you. I mean it's it's what it is. Not not that it's gonna get you. Meaning I wasn't completely protected. I'm fine with that. I don't feel oh my I must have failed somehow. Not at all. This is one of the most infectious things to ever hit the hit the planet. But I also feel like part of why I was able to recover as quickly and to be back um, still cautious, still uh, respectful of my body's need to continue to rest and continue to heal. This is a strong, it's a reason it's affected millions and millions of people, right? It's strong. Um, But, you know, I feel like I did recover a lot quicker than I might have because of all these other things that I do in my life to keep my system alive and fresh and, and appreciative. I think you embraced it as well, and you looked after yourself during the time you you had it. And also, I think there's another way to look at any illness. Um, It's not necessarily an illness. It is um, an opportunity to balance ourselves, to come back to wholeness, right? Or to go to another level of consciousness even, okay? Um, because it's a clearing of the density that we carry, right? It gets us to slow down because we we don't slow down enough. We're moving at a different pace than actually very often we should. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I think there's a, I think this is a very important point because it's very easy when, when we're frantic, when we're anxious, um, when we feel like there's so many things to try to keep, stay on top of as, as parents, as, as a spouse, uh, you know, as, as a child of, of aging parents, whatever the issues in our life may be, it's easy to be on this kind of frantic, uh, there's never enough time. And, and it's hard to imagine that take, slowing down could possibly help because you feel like I, I can't even keep up and you're asking me to slow down. That makes zero sense. 
And that's what the that's what the frantic mind is thinking, right? And I, I have been there many a time in my life, and yet I've been in the other so many times where by taking that extra few minutes and saying, no, no, I have to, there are so many levels of efficiency in my system that are possible. And right now I'm not in an inefficient state. I am in a chaotic state that leads to cognitive disconnection. It leads to bad decisions. It leads to saying things that I'm liable to regret if I'm not careful. That is not an efficient state as much as I want to justify it and tell, tell myself, but I have to get, I have so much to get done. I have to be in this mode. I have to be short with you because I don't have time. And I really don't have time for your stories right now. You know, as much as we want to tell ourselves that it's just not working and it's not going to keep us healthy and it's not the way we want to feel on the inside either. So to me, I've often used the analogy that um, we have to, if we want to perform at a high level, one of the key things is learning how to vary our speed. If we think performing at a high level means on all the time, high speed, how, how's, how does that work with other high performance things like say cars? Well, they need to get tuned every single day if you're gonna run them like that. You would, do, you would put so much care into that car that you kept at 150 miles an hour all the time and, you'd, and you'd, it would get complete rest, complete rest. It wouldn't, it would, you wouldn't leave it in the, in the garage with the engine on idling. And yet that's what we do. We keep our phone biased. We keep, we keep processing stuff. We don't really rest. We don't really shut off and shut down like our body needs to restore and keep us healthy. That was a, that was a big part of the COVID too for me was feeling like there's another level of rest I need to get to. It's not just closing my eyes and therefore that's resting. Not at all. That we can carry, I especially noticed this in the first 36 hours when the symptoms were coming on and it was pretty intense that whenever I would close my eyes, I would just notice like my whole body kind of vibrating. And I mean, like physically shaking. And I mean that, but I could sense this. There was, there was pain, there was aches, there was, but it wasn't, there was no calm at all in the body. The body was dealing with this thing, this infection that was taking over. And so closing your eyes didn't produce rest. I had to really work with breathing practices, ironically, when COVID's attacking my lungs, with breathing practices to slow myself down to get to a deeper point of rest. Mm -hmm. And then to stay in bed an extra hour and a half or two hours and say, no, I'm not, I'm not in that rested state enough. I shouldn't get up yet. I need to go back, go deeper in my system, slow my system down farther, mm -hmm. go, go deeper, slow down. You know what that's like. There is a deeper part. Keep going deep, breathe, breathe deeper, get deeper into your heart. And I could finally find that. And then I'd fall asleep for another hour and a half. And then I'd wake up and I'd think, there. Now, I've, now I'm waking up feeling like I've really rested. Wonderful. And that was an incredible insight to me. As long as I've worked with ideas like this, 45 plus years, that was a whole nother level of in the street making it happen. <laughs> when your body is dealing with a potentially fatal, I mean, how many billions, millions of people have died? You know, this is not a child's play, right? So this is this is real life. But to, to do it there was like, that was very powerful for me. That there, even in the midst of dealing with that and having all that in my body, I could still shift my state deeper and deeper and deeper. And when I would do that, like the symptoms would completely go away. I couldn't always sustain that because then something would come in, a phone call, something that, I had to deal with and I found myself getting slightly disturbed. Well, slight disturbance with COVID it is magnified. 
And so suddenly my system is feeling very out of whack because I'm so, my system's so sensitive as we all would be when we're having this. So I thought, ah, okay. Every time you have 10 minutes before a phone call, you lie down and take eight of those minutes to, to nap or meditate and just to keep doing that. You have to, I kept telling myself, you have to keep slowing your system down. You have to keep going to that internal recharge state because that's where the healing is going to come from. It, it sounds I've, got, like, I've, I've got to do that. It sounds like you were given the opportunity to be one with your body. Would you say that's correct? Yes, and it's ironic because I feel like I've been one with it for so long, but it was another level of being one mm -hmm. with it, absolutely. Another level of really listening and, yeah. and noticing all the times where I would tell myself, I'm fine, I'm really fine, I really got to get back to work. And then, right. then, then an hour later realizing, well, actually that wasn't true. <laughs> you really now take 10 minutes. I it's actually really think you were meant to uncover that. And especially in your new job, you have also uh, reinvented yourself in that area, right? It's, it's, it's amazing, true. really. It's Can you tell us about that? Happy to. Um, so I'm running a new school as part of the university. The university is called Salem University here in the U.S. And the new school is going to be called, we're actually not 100% sure on the name, but it'll probably be the Institute of Integrative Health. And this is a, kind of a, a new incarnation of something I had been president of for the last 18 months called the Graduate Institute for Holistic Studies, which had been around here in Connecticut, where I currently live, for 20 plus years and offering master's degrees in holistic healing and consciousness studies and learning and thinking and lovely topics. But small nonprofit uh, COVID made schools like ours really, really challenged. Um, we were completely in-person, retreat-like model. Over two years, you get a master's degree. All that had to change, had to be on Zoom exclusively. It was difficult to maintain the same learning experience, although it went quite well, but just COVID was so hard with for higher education in general. And so we realized we needed to, in order to grow, to, in order to survive, let alone to grow, we needed to find a larger institution that could that wanted us and could help us grow in a, in a whole new way. And I was able to find an institution that, that fit the bill. And that all happened uh, just a few weeks ago. It all finalized. <clears throat> so I'm now executive director of the Institute for Integrative Health at Salem University. And we are, we are basically, basically an institute for integrative health in, in, in the broadest meaning of that. So yes, we'll have courses for health professionals, a lot for nurses. The university already has a lot of programs, um, bachelor's and master's programs for nurses, but it's also to kind of positively infect uh, our curriculum of the university with more holistic thinking, more integrative thinking. Uh, I, now that I'm there and meeting some of my colleagues, the athletic trainer and the athletic director heard about these programs coming and they said, our athletes need this more than ever. The, the mental health challenge on athletes today, uh, many of our athletes are, are even international. So they're, they're away from their home country and their family and their culture and their, and their rituals. And they're in a, a different culture and, you know, and all that. And, and they're athletes. So the, there's the anxiety of performance as well, let alone just the anxiety of life today. So, um, so the, the athletics 
of the university are saying we need we need this more than ever because our athletes are suffering in new ways they just they didn't used to have the same challenges <clears throat> so there's a, a lot of opportunity but uh, i feel like and and this the university has this very strong sense as well that we're at a time in history where thanks to covid i think th there a lot of people have been dabbling more than we know in, in integrative ideas and holistic healing and they're not just buying the doctor's tr truth as the sole story. I mean, that's been going on for a while, for, for decades and increasing more and more. But the COVID, I think, made it even another whole nother level of what can I learn for myself and what can I do to, to improve my life? Not just about my physical health, but my mental health, my emotional balance, my, my, my spiritual well-being, all the facets of me. And that's what we, we will be doing with this uh, with this new college to be able to bring these programs to the public, as well as for people who want to have advanced degrees, master's degrees, bachelor's degrees, et cetera. So it's an exciting time because we're just kind of at the, the first month of getting this new, this new thing started. But um, I'm, I'm excited to see where it can go and, and especially excited to see what kind of impact can we make because um, the, the new university is, has far more resources than we had. And, its its structure allows for far more expansion than what we had before so we can reach many many more people than we had before <clears throat> than we've been able to before so um that's where, where my heart my heart is is if i've got any things that i've learned that can help a lot of people i want to i want to do that because there's so many people are searching and thirsty right now absolutely Bruce, um, let's go back to the idea of creativity and your um, belief in this creative force and the creative power within us. And um, how do you think in this, these times we can maximize that even more, um, whether it's in organizations or uh, the current Creators or creative economy, where fifteen million people consider themselves to be creator. What what would you like to say to, about that? Mm, I could talk for days on this topic. Um, the first thing I want to mention is that I define creativity broadly as the creative energy that is present in every human being. So. We have the power to create life. Whether we ever do isn't the point, but that energy to create is built in. It's designed into our DNA. It's what makes kids want to create little worlds out of dolls and rocks and, and twigs and sunlight, you know, whatever, that creative energy. And unfortunately for many people, that gets suppressed. That energy gets suppressed. And children are told not to sing, not to paint, not to dance, not to play, to get serious about their, their work, their schoolwork, because they need to become a doctor, an engineer, a crypto expert, whatever it may be. And, and, and to kind of put aside those other urges to, to simply create, to be alive and be playful. And then we, go, we come to a job and we're told to stay in our lane. Helen, you're great at PR. Don't don't let the salespeople do their job stay in your lane you know and, and that message is put out in many organizations so if we have the energy that wants to contribute in an area beyond our job description it's shut down we're, we're not encouraged to do that and to me number one we're 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 mistaking 
we're, we're making a lot of mistakes in that process because number one, we are made of creative energy. All of us are. Whether or not we are artistic, whether or not we can write or sing or dance or paint or take pretty photographs does not mean we are creative or not. To me, one of the most creative acts in human history was Nelson Mandela being able to take the 20 some years he had spent in prison for his beliefs and transmute that anger, resentment, whatever he experienced as a younger man into an incredible acts of forgiveness that launched a whole new nation and inspired a generation in his country. That was a creative act to take what could have been violence and more aggression and now I'm going to take charge. Now that the, the, the tide is t turning, I'm going to, we're going to do things like we, sh we should have been doing all along. He turned it into reconciliation. That is an incredible act of creativity, a creative act to transmute energy into something that could inspire not only the people of this country, but the whole world. And here we are talking about it. So we, we are creative beings. And it, it, it is not defined whether or not we're artistic. We don't think is so Nelson Mandela was incredibly creative <laughs> to be able to do that. But it doesn't mean he could, I mean, he was also very poetic, of course. So I guess that's point one is that we are all made of creative energy and we have untapped levels and, and dimensions of it that we, that I, even though I believe this and have embraced my creativity as fully as I know at the moment, I know there's a lot more because there has to be, because it's, um, it's limitless. It's, we're it's divine. It's all part of the, the universal force. So that's my first thing is to, because many people have believed the parents or the teacher or the boss that, you know, you know what, don't be singing unless no one else is within a mile of, of the house. You know what, don't be thinking about your painting. You can do that when you retire, but you need to focus on making money and you know, all that kind of stuff. So that energy has gotten shut down in so many people, most of the most of humanity, and so there's a tremendous amount of resource to solve issues of climate, of warring nations, of whatever. All this un, uh, all this blocked energy, times billions of people, is what I'm really interested in, in helping. So in organizations, you know, I think it's gotten really obvious that flexibility and adaptability are absolutely two of the most important values and and method methodologies of any organization today we you've got to be flexible you've got to be able to shift on a dime because it's COVID isn't the only thing out there that could cause our life to suddenly change it certainly has effectively and continues to but that's to me it's been kind of the cue from the universe to say you've got to learn how to adapt you Absolutely. can't be stuck in rigid ways of thinking Absolutely. As a as a business, as a family, as yourself, adaptation is what life is. How life can unfold and how you can deal with challenges, and being flexible and being adaptable—that's creative energy. That's say, that's taking a situation and saying, "What can we make out of this?" Instead of resisting, "Oh, I don't want it to be this way." Oh, this is—I hate this. Uh, that's not creative. That's that's just resistance. And so that'll end up, uh, you'll end up in self-destruction if you, if you stay resisting. So I'm just trying to help people I, I'm, uh, accept this notion that the creative energy is a living energy inside of us. It's alive when we're moving. I love to dance. And whenever I teach these courses on creativity, even online, I get people dancing on Zoom. 
and they love it and they, they like, can't wait because ah, they feel free and they, ah, you can shake off some of that tension from being on Zoom all day or being penned, penned up in, in, your, in your apartment all day or your home all day or, or whatever it is. So um, to me, there's, a, there's a, a tremendous amount of energy needing and wanting to be released in the individual. And you multiply that times every single person in a company, nearly everybody is feeling this to some degree. So many people are, feel like they're, they're in a box in their job and they may have ideas, but they're never encouraged. And so there's all this untapped energy. So I think organizations have to learn how to support the creative energy of, of their teams, their, their staff, in encourage them outside of, of work. I mean, we should be helping people feel alive. We should be helping people find what makes their hearts sing. You know, I'm a big believer in the fact that there are many times where our job is what it is, and it's not going to suddenly become all roses and daffodils and, and bunnies. It's still going to be a tough job. But if we're doing enough things in our life in general that make our life, that make our hearts sing, like, like as I think you know, Helen, um, I've been singing again publicly for the last few years in New York City. And it is an incredible thrill that I get to sing in New York City. One time in the last few years, I got paid to do that. <laughs> one time. I got paid nicely for that one time. The other 25 times, I didn't get it paid. It didn't matter. The fact that I was rehearsing, the fact I was preparing, the fact that I was getting to do something that I loved and could inspire others who would be present for that, that's all that I needed. I find that a week that I know I'm doing a performance is a good week because I'm like thinking about it and that energy is infusing everything that I'm doing, not just the moments that I'm actually performing. So I think that's really vital for people in general is to have creative things that they love to do, especially when life is really challenging. And and you're, you, you have to stay in the job because the family needs that income. Now you can't just quit and become a painter. That's not an option. You know, you, you still have to do what you have to do to pay the bills, pay debts, whatever. But if, if you can, if we can find though, um, from inside, you know, what it is, right, that we really love to do and what we are, it is that we are meant to do, yes. what is our purpose, right? Um, from your perspective, uh, you have a, a, a masterclass in creativity, am I right? What, what, what yes. is it called again? Uh, creativity Unleashed. Okay. Um, back in 2017, I Stanford University asked me to create this as part of their employee wellness program. Yeah. I've been teaching it there ever since, but I also teach it elsewhere to groups and in the public and corporations, etc. Yeah, and that's one of the things I'd love to do with you, where um, perhaps we can, um, you know, offer people, um, you know, sessions where it can we we can help them unleash this creativity and be in touch with the creative force and creative power within them um, from your, your approach as well as from mine, you know, which is a uh, maybe more inward approach, right? Whereas you, you, you do the movement and the, what else do you do? The playfulness and um, nature. Yeah, well, in the movement exercises, there's a meditation before the movement. So it's actually one continuous exercise that starts with the self-reflection and mindfulness and 
focusing in the heart and to get quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter. And from there, start to awaken and allow the creative energy to come out in the form of movement to some really fun music that makes you want to dance. Mm-hmm. So there's this progression from being very inward to then allowing it to express into the body, into the earth, to kind of mm-hmm. ground it all. Um, th- there's in my model, um, when Stanford asked me to, to create this, I thought, okay, when I kind of looked back at how I got my own creative mojo, if you will, going again, um, I didn't follow a system. I didn't follow a method. I just intuitively were doing things. And one of them was I was paying more attention. I was I was being more mindful and being more heartful of what was going on in my body, uh, in my mind, in my heart. Um, secondly, I was moving more. I was once I got through some of the surgeries, I was able to move in new ways, and I found that was often bringing in new creativity because I was moving, I was dancing, and the the creative expression of, of a dance allowed me to release things that were blocking more creativity. I also found that the one of the third areas was was nature that just spending time in nature, absorbing the aliveness of nature, being in the field of nature and the constant life-giving energy, even in the frigid cold winter here where I am in Connecticut now, it's negative 15 Celsius right now. Now, This is like getting tiresome. It's still alive out there. It's not dead. (laughs) It's really cold, but it's still alive. It's, It's dormant, but there's still life everywhere, right? So nature, can be this constant source of rejuvenation of our spirits, which then often frees up the very same creative energy that we need in our lives and to be artistic, whatever it is that we need it needed for. I believe that playfulness is one of the is like the essence of creativity. In fact, I call I call my my, my expression on this is that playfulness is the wonder drug of creativity. If you can be playful, if you see children playing and you get near them, notice what happens to you. Notice how you want to get down there on the floor with them. Your voice starts to change. You talk differently. You think in different ways. But that's all you. You're not putting on an act. That's all you that that wants to be that part of you with the children that are playful. That's a playful part of you that most of us adults say to ourselves, oh, I can't can't do that. I have to be an adult. I, I run a university. I can't do that. Sorry, guys, uh, if you don't want me to run a university, that's okay, but I'm going to be the playful me because that's who I am. I can't not be that. So, um, so to me, playfulness is, is the energy of creativity. You know, I think if you can find when you're in the middle of a real struggle and can find somehow a playful attitude, like sometimes it even gallows humor, whatever can get you to be laughing, laughing a little bit and like feel a little bit lighthearted releases some energy where a creative idea can can then happen. So playfulness to me is huge, huge part of it. And the, the last one in my model, the, the fifth catalyst as I call it, is artistic expression. Meaning if you make an effort to try something that you have, that you have wanted to do and never tried like photography, or you used to like writing and you haven't done it for 20 years, or you used to enjoy painting, but you, you stopped at some point and you will start up any of those things again, or try something new. You're, you are creating new circuits in yourself. That's happening. The brain research is very clear on this. You're building new circuits of creative expression and that act kind of is again kind of turning on this river of creativity that's in us anyway so 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 to do things like i i use i use smartphone photography as one of the elements in every class that i teach 
because we all have them. We all have cameras. We all walk around with cameras. We use them for selfies and food, mostly cats, dogs. And I encourage people to tr use it as an artist. Why not? You've got, a, you've got an artistic tool here and you could. And you could look at anything. You could look at a sunset, at a leaf, at a frozen landscape, as I have outside my house right now, through the eyes of an artist, if you wanted. Or you could just look at it and, oh, interesting, and then go on your merry way. So I'm saying to, to think like an artist, to, to try that on every now and then, that's birthing new parts of you, the Renaissance human. That's, and you never know where that's going to take you. I never, I'll never forget one time I was teaching a course at uh, this Creativity Unleashed course at the University of Delaware at the College of Health Sciences. And there's a lady in the class, uh, a staff member of the university. And in one of the exercises, she had done a pen and a pencil and paper drawing of a bird. And it was just in a very simple activity where people were doing very simple things. And I saw this picture. I said, wait a minute, did you just do that? She said, yes. I said, can you hold that up to everybody? This is when we were in person in a, in a classroom. I said, am I the only one who thinks that's an absolutely awesome drawing you just did? And the whole class said, wow that's amazing she said really really you think it's good i said really i think that's good you have a you have you have an exceptional skill that's a beautiful piece you just did that prompted her to turn her final project for this course into a set of drawings which she showed i think it was the next week or two weeks later and the whole class was kind of like, oh my god and we were giving her praise it happened to be somebody in the class had a gallery asked her to show at, at the gallery. And this woman who had come to the class, not believing she had any talent mm -hmm. in art or drawing, was confirmed by a room full of her peers. We were serious, like, girl, you have some serious talent here. You've got an eye you don't appreciate. You, you, are, you are really, you've got something. And she just was so amazed and so delighted because she secretly believed that or she wouldn't have done the drawing. And she loves it. And yet she never believed she had any skill and therefore she shouldn't ever do it. So I love those moments where people get confirmed for something that they've hoped with might be true. And, 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 and in the, the awakening of creativity, it's not about the public expression. It's not about, oh, you've got to do something in the public, then you're really creative. Not at all. This isn't about public expression. I happen to have some creative things that I have done in the public, singing, speaking, dancing, etc. That doesn't make me more creative. Not at all. So this isn't about you've got to be in the public to ever be a creative person. Not at all. Is it's it, about the utilization of this river of creativity that is in us. And I'm trying to help people realize this really is true. I'm not making this up, guys. It's not just a sweet metaphor. This is really how life is. We have that river to create, to procreate, to recreate. To, it's in us. Yeah, it it's about igniting that, that spark that, you know. Yeah ifs that are inside and um i i used to run these sessions these group sessions and um one of the members attending um she she already sings but it it ignited and expanded that gift you know within her and she used her voice to start healing people actually right from from singing beautiful uh, you know yes and um, so we have it, we all have it. You know, it just depends on what those gifts are, what is meant to be expressed and to also live our purpose, right? 
all of that. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Bruce. You know, what has come across uh, to me after this interview with you um, is your aliveness, you know, is this joie de vivre, you know, you have really this joy for, of life, you know, and, and you're just alive, you know, that aliveness is something else. Um, and I, I would love for, for people to uncover so much of themselves, to be one with themselves, with their bodies, with with every part of themselves that they can also be alive like that. So again, thank you so much. As I said, right at the beginning, you are the embodiment of all that I'm advocating. And that's why you've been my very first guest and you've been wonderful to have on this show. Thank you so much, please. It's been a treat, Helen. I love the dialogue and um, thank you for honoring the aliveness. I, I definitely do love life and I love being alive and exploring what that really can mean for myself and for others. So it's a treat to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, it shows. And I would love to have you as well as, on, as a guest as well on my um, Transform and Thrive Club. Um, mm -hmm. And we can create some sure. wonderful things together for, for our members. And Great. Help people come alive, help people um, be in touch with who they really are and to be aligned with their creative power and to make maximum use of it. How about that? Wonderful. Sounds good. <laughs> okay. Bless you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Bruce. Bless you Bye too. Now. That was me saying goodbye to Bruce. And now I would like to say something to those of you listening to this podcast before I bid you farewell for today too. I have hardly interrupted Bruce with questions primarily because he was so much in the flow and also because we are so much on the same page as well. What an awesome first guest, this former CEO and co-founding member of the well-known Institute of Hard Math in the US and the current executive director of the College of Integrative Health at Salem University. And just to give you an idea of my inward processes, if you haven't already listened to the last night episodes, they take you into a true and deep alignment with the highest aspects of who you are. Most clients have done this successfully and made real shifts in their lives immediately and quickly. In the last two decades, our methodology has proven to be very effective and oftentimes even almost instant because it goes straight to the source of an issue, allows people to shift rapidly and they therefore testify incredible results. But how much and how quickly you wish to to integrate the shifts I facilitate for you is entirely your choice. I'm here to serve and I will encourage and nudge you accordingly. I've also been told that these Transform and Thrive podcast episodes are solid gold. Do begin to get to know me this way and also sign up 
for my free events and join my free Facebook group if you haven't already. My last episode, episode 9, gives you information about my free 5-day disability challenge. But you can begin with episode 8 if you like, as both episodes are about this word disability, which I coined some 7 years ago to mean our ability to feel deserving. If you missed the first free live session on Zoom yesterday, Sunday, and wish to participate, email us at inquiries at lehighs.com. You can join the second free live session this Thursday, February 10th at 10pm Singapore time, 2pm London, and 9am New York. Once again, inquiries at lehighs.com inquiries with an I-E-S and lehighs spelt L-E-E-H-E-I-S-S dot com And if you can't attend the second live session, you can still catch both replays in my Facebook group and get all the information that I'll be posting there each of the five days of this challenge in our free and private Facebook group. The URL is facebook.com slash groups slash transformandthrive.club And remember to answer the three simple questions to join us. Once more, facebook.com slash groups slash transform and thrive club. Please note that this URL is for a free Facebook group, but not our transform and thrive club itself, which you can find out more about and join us there by logging into transformandthrive.club. I repeat, transformandthrive.club. I very much look forward to welcoming you to our Facebook Transform and Thrive community as well as our Transform and Thrive club itself. And to your full participation in our disability challenge and your flourishing greatly. Meanwhile, this is Helen Lee on the Transform and Thrive show, sending you much love and wishing you endless possibilities of great joy and freedom, peace and abundance at all levels. Happy transforming and thriving. You have the power to do so masterfully and joyously. Thank you for joining me. Your presence is vital and very, very much appreciated. Bye for now.